Welcome to Beyond Conventional Marketing, a marketing leader's guide to digital consumer experiences. You're about to hear an episode full of insights from marketing leaders to help you build meaningful moments and relevant digital experiences for your consumers. Join us as we hear from marketing leaders about their experiences with data and personalization, digital marketing trends, and expert advice on how to grow your business and connect with consumers. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome to a special episode of Beyond Conventional Marketing. I'm your host, Anushka Lokesh, and in this episode, we're looking back at what an amazing year 2022 was for the podcast. We definitely had some great discussions with some very interesting people, and I am so grateful for everyone who listens to the show and so excited for what the new year will bring. I hope you enjoy these highlights and have a great start to 2023. We definitely have seen game-changing changes in consumer behavior. I think obviously the biggest one is there's probably been about 10 years of digital penetration increasing in the first three months of the pandemic, right? So the amount of people who are shopping online and are comfortable shopping online is far greater today than it was just two years ago. I think about, you know, I think about my mother or people's grandparents and they weren't comfortable, you know, never mind buying luggage online, but groceries and these other things became a necessity. They were forced, you know, to come digital during the pandemic in order to get these necessities. And it's opened up their world in a way in which now they don't have to go to certain places anymore. So that transformation is obviously impactful. And what it really means for in-store brick and mortar, which will never go away, it's a critical part of people's experience, but it means that the connection points have to be so much stronger. Things like buy online, pick up in-store, all of those sorts of like new age technologies that will drive better consumer experience become, you know, more and more important to the consumer. Somebody's attention is the most valuable currency they have. And the basis for that is time is the most finite resource any of us have. We're born one day, we're going to die one day. And in between that, while some people may live longer than others, the reality is we only have 24 hours in every day. And of those 24 hours, most of us on average sleep, you know, six to eight hours a day. We're working or we're in school, you know, for another eight or so hours. So right there, you've got 14 to 16 of the 24 hours carved out. Now you've got another eight hours that might get filled up with things like the gym, seeing friends, doing other things. And so you start to realize just if you're in marketing, you have a small window of somebody's day to try and get their attention. It's seconds at a time. It's a couple hours in total, right? When you stack up all those different moments. And so we always try to think about, again, going back to treating people with that sort of human interest in mind, what am I going to do to earn their attention? How can I prove that I've earned attention? How can I also measure whether or not that attention led to some measurable outcome, good or bad, right? Because a bad outcome is still valuable if I can learn something from it. want something you've never had, you need to be willing to do something you've never done. So take risks. The the internet is a great resource. Don't be fearful of what you don't know. Go out there and teach yourself. Learn it. And you own your destiny. Go and claim it. And 
there's, you know, no one who's ever said life came to them easy without having a lot of, you know, hard work and grit, sweat and tears behind it. So be willing to to build that that vision for the future, be willing to build that next thing for someone who doesn't know how and putting passion behind it is always a great accelerator. So I would say not only have we brought this great digital supply chain, a way for people to buy and interact with our products online, we've also been able to be accelerators. And so most people, I think, will admit in digital spaces that you know accelerating is contagious. It's almost like a drug. Like once you start it, you like don't want to stop. Having great people and being able to attract great people to a small area has been part of our success and will continue to be part of our success. And the last thing I would say is, you know, a commitment to the core values that we have as a company, not only to our you know, employees, but the core values as well. Mr. Blaisdell, who was the inventor of the Zippo lighter and the founder of the company, the grandfather of our current owner has a quote that is attributed to him and it hangs on a plaque in my office. And he said, build your product with integrity, stand behind it 100% and success will follow. And we try to live by those words every single day. And that really is what I think has contributed to our, con- our continued success over 90 years is really taking care of our consumers as best we can, you know, standing behind our product and making a product as to the best of our ability that will that will last a lifetime, which is exactly why we have a lifetime guarantee on them. And, and that really is what, you know, that quote from Mr. Blaisdell is really what is uh, at the essence of, of our lifetime guarantee. I definitely agree that it is complex. And when you ask me why, I would say, for me, there are three reasons. Number one, I do think that there is a strategy challenge uh, attached to, to personalization. So with, with personalization being one of these big business trends in the last decade, organizations really need to ask themselves of how to make personalization meaningful to their customers and link it to their strategy. So for me, how I, how I tend to think of, of this is personalization can't be that pretty ribbon that you put on a virtual or physical package that gets delivered to, the, to customers, but it needs to be part of that package or part of the delivery. And that leads us to the second challenge. Uh, the second challenge for me is the organization challenge. In most organizations, when you start with personalization efforts, this will not happen as a greenfield exercise, but you have an existing process. How does a marketing email get created, uh, planned, executed, and tracked? Like There will be processes of, of how this is being done. There is somebody who currently decides what to show on product pages on the homepage. And when you want to personalize these processes, there's always an incumbent process that needs to get innovated, so to speak. And... I, I think this is definitely something that uh, I can also talk a bit more about how, how we've approached that at, at Vista. And the third challenge that I also want to call out briefly is the technology challenge, obviously. And for personalization efforts to work scalably and reliably and with customer and business uh, impact, positive impact, one needs really the full concert of technology foundations, data and analytics infrastructure, and the expert staffing to, to make that happen. And I think it's also very important to understand that such a move towards personalization should be treated almost like any other transformation effort. So what, again, we have done 
what I can also highly recommend is that you give the transformation a name. So at Vista, we don't call it the personalization initiative, but for us, it's CR magic. So it's customer relationship magic. It's not just customer relationship management. It's not just personalization. But what we are here to create is, is CR magic. And uh, not only does this transformation now have a name and is referenced in a lot of the communications that go out even on a Vista-wide audience internally, but we also have established the necessary routines for sharing out information, celebrating wins, but also discussing learnings where things didn't turn out as we anticipated. And when I was saying before that you need to be really clear on, on what customer problems personalization helps solve, I see a lot of organizations which think we need Netflix-like content personalization or we need Amazon-like next product to, to buy recommendations. And I only think that this is part of the story because if your customers are not Amazon customers or if your customers are not Netflix customers, having these types of solutions does maybe not do enough or it doesn't solve meaningfully what, what your customers are looking for. And when I think about the life of a small business, it is evident that we have quite a great opportunity to cater to their very unique situations because small businesses are not a homogenous group. They are all very unique in where they stand in their business life cycle. Getting people to, to dare and try things out, I think, is, is super important as you go through this. The other is also you need to believe that once you get started, things will get easier for the second or the third time. I, I still recall the first time we launched a new recommendation element on our website, it took weeks. It took really weeks to get this live on our site to just feature a new product recommendation engine. Also with then the automatic feed from product information, like product pictures, product description, etc. And now we can do this within a matter of hours and we have a new model that uh, we can just interchange quite automatically. I think the biggest thing that I have learned over the course of my career is the importance of the consumer journey. With everything that you do, whether it's creative or social strategy or anything else, customer journey is at the center of all of that. And so what that means is that you know, the customer journey is essentially all of the different paths that a customer could take to become your customer. I mean, I think that, you know, a willingness uh, to explore is helpful. You have to be willing to test things. You have to be willing to be wrong sometimes. And you have to be willing to forget about your assumptions and follow expertise of other departments or follow what the data is telling you. And sometimes maybe that data isn't really telling you anything and you just have to go with your gut and see how it works. But one, I think one of the biggest things is to have a process for how you approach things. As marketers, I think it's important for us to listen to the consumer first and foremost and think about them when we're developing any of our campaigns and just make sure that we're, we're being really authentic with what we're trying to bring to them because we're already interrupting their life and trying to convert them or sell them on, on an opportunity or an idea that maybe they hadn't been part of their consideration set. So I ask myself where to invest, how to invest, and then where to disrupt. So to elaborate that on a little bit, 
when I think about where to invest in line, I use the OBPPC model. So that stands for occasion, brand, price, package, and channel. And essentially what that is, is a strategy to offer consumers a broad broad variety of products in different packages for any occasion. And a well-executed OBPPC strategy means that we would have an offering to suit every shopper's need across any channel, while also helping us invest from a marketing lens in the right package to the right consumer at the right time. When the designer was first commissioned to create the Coca-Cola bottle, their brief was that the design was to be so distinct that anyone could recognize it, even if it was in the dark or lying broken on the ground, which is how now you have that kind of iconic Coca-Cola bottle shape and that green tinted glass. I love that because I think it is a perfect example of what it means to be an iconic brand that really stands the test of time while still evolving with consumers. So I'd say for your listeners, as you think about how to ensure your brand's legacy online, my main takeaways would be remember that now everything is digital and Secondly, you know, evolve with your consumers because if everything is digital now, then anything could be shoppable. I think follow some of the strategic guidelines with those marketing fundamentals, but also find ways to disrupt the right noise and and have some fun. I lean towards technology. I love learning about new technologies and how the marketing capabilities evolved and get stronger thanks to technology. So I use that, the marketing ecosystem, as a toolbox to drive innovation. For me, digital marketing and technology is an accelerator, is an enabler. So when we you think about innovation, the way I look at it, it has to start with either an opportunity or a problem. And then you have uh, any organization, any brand has opportunities, has problems, and that's where issues start. The thinking about how we can seize that opportunity, how we can solve that problem. And it's when I go to my digital toolbox and hand pick the tools that are going to help me. You know, innovation is a word that has been repeated so much lately. And every company says we are innovative. We want to innovate. But really, it's a very, very simple concept. It's just problem solving. It's just how you, in creative ways, save opportunities and solve the problems of your brand or organization. My three top strengths are... One is maximizer that desires to make things better and make things from great to extraordinary. The second one is critical thinking. And the third one is learning. I'm a a lifetime learner. So my approach to innovation, interestingly, followed my top three strengths. So I identify the problem or the opportunity, then 
the learner in me just dig into the space and look in the possibilities, the, the tools, the enablers that I have in the marketing technology ecosystem. And then the critical thinker in me just find the ways to combine in a creative way that nobody else has done because that is what drives innovation to find solutions. People tend to hire people that is very similar to them, which in my opinion is a mistake because you really need to find people to balance out each other. In my case, my top skills is actually one top skill that is uh, also a combination of multiple skills is learning agility. And I have learned this through the years as I work and take projects and get to know myself more. And that's a transferable transferable skills that actually is a combination of a series of complex skills like speed, flexibility, experimentation, exploration, curiosity, reflection, information gathering. So I think that I'm a, I'm a learner, I'm an explorer, and that kind of drive the creativity and innovation. My team is not that they don't have that skills, but they may be stronger in other skills like organization. There's one skill in the Clifton strength that is called Wu, W-O-O, which is the people that is extremely sociable and can go and influence and cross-pollinate information. So I have one person like that in my team and it's amazing because that is taking our collective skills as a group to another level when you are able to go and align with other teams in other departments, etc. I have someone that has extremely strong analytic skills. So it's also another pillar that is sustaining the success of my department. So it's very interesting when you put all the skills of a group together, how you have a very, very solid performance as a group. Change is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for the person that is pushing for the change, but the person pushing for the change just probably feels comfortable in the uncomfortable zone. But for everyone around, it's just it's really uh, a source of uh, discomfort. And I've had her few times, why do you don't leave it like that? I mean, just leave it alone is good enough. And, you know, for people like me that strongly believe that things always can be better is, I mean, it's really difficult just to leave it at. But I think that's the biggest challenge that I can mention. However, again, depending on what is your context and what is the organization and what is the mindset of the organization you are working on. And that's why I always have kind of uh, pursued that type of organization that embrace change and embrace innovation. So it's a better fit wherever for each other. The first piece is not to be afraid to fail. I think we're, as a society, afraid of failure and afraid of testing new things because we don't know if it will yield the results, especially in marketing. A lot of the conversations that executives will have at companies and brands will be like, okay, well, what's the ROI? If you're asking for this additional marketing budget, or hey, if this is just moving brand awareness, like what's the ROI? What's the conversion? Rather than thinking, hey, what are the learnings? And if I fail, that's okay, because that then eliminates, you know, one path and there might be two other paths that then become more clear. Or 
hey, if I test and learn, you know, what am I testing and how am I moving boundaries forward and how am I leaning into innovation? So anywho, just want to share not to be afraid to fail and celebrate failures. I think all the failures along the way get us to where we, you know, push boundaries and where we move industries and where we break down um, barriers. At the forefront of when you think of the adoption curve, like she and he are innovators. They're pioneers. They're testing things out. They're bettering their lifestyle with new and exciting ways of doing things, whether that's, you know, in studio, in their practice, or along in our journey with Alo Moves, which is our app for meditation and yoga, or it might be clean skincare because they, you know, believe that what you put on your skin is just as important as what you put inside your body and things like that. So working at a company that, you know, embraces that innovation and pioneering, but then also having a consumer that is looking for that and that is here to test and try all new things. That's absolutely thrilling. And that allows us to like constantly just better ourselves and try and test and learn. I, as a marketer, am a champion of this. I truly believe that, you know, your IRL experience should match your URL experience, right? Whatever that may be, whether you're shopping on e-com, but then coming into store or whether you're going to an event and then coming on social or you're with us in the metaverse or, you know, buying your first NFT with us, whatever that looks like, that elevated experience that is grounded and based in wellness is truly, truly at the core of what we do because our community is at the core of what we do. And so if our community is experiencing the brand and not just, you know, digesting the brand, like, oh, I bought this as transactional, but if they're part of it and they feel a part of it, we're on a journey with them as they're bettering their yoga practice or as they're exploring what it means to try clean beauty or whatever that may be. It's a lot more emotional. And so that's where the experiential component comes from. What's unique and what's so exciting for me is that I've always been on teams moving forward this transformation, right? Like we were just talking about whether it was digital transformation and then it was social transformation and then it was social commerce transformation, the shift from, you know, the traditional celebrity endorsement economy to like a content creator and influencer economy. And it's always been kind of shepherding that through. But what's so exciting about Aloe is that they, like, we truly are at the forefront of being a digital first company and a social first brand. So everything that we do is keeping in mind that our client and audience is incredibly technically savvy. I mean, the beautiful thing about creating and creating a community that is all about mindful movement, mental health, yoga, is that everyone from every walk of life, any age demographic, male, female, like everyone has a step on that wellness journey. It could be, you know, you want to take daily affirmations in the morning and you go to moves to be like, I am strength, I am power, I got this. Love your fans, engage your fans. Uh, you, for sure you have fans uh, already. They're, pro- they're going to be your biggest uh, advocates for your brand uh, and your product. Uh, and we've come to know that. So, you know, engage with them, see how, you know, you can partner with them uh, to help your brand and company. And maybe lastly, on the digital front, 
you know, go into digital, not just for digital sake, but uh, use digital to hopefully be able to serve and delight your customer better, whether it's through access, through reach. Uh, you know, there's gazillion technology and digital platforms out there. Choose the one that works for you. Choose the one that helps your brand and your company evolve and and, and progress. And uh, and uh, with that, yeah, I mean, just good luck with, with uh, all the the, those in your brand and digital journeys out there. Something we kind of take a lot of pride in is that, you know, uh, it's, it's, I wouldn't say easy, but, you know, there's a lot of great recipes out there, you know, but what we pride ourselves in really is you go from one Jollibee to the other uh, in the U.S., in Canada, uh, anywhere in the world. And, you know, that's, that's something we're proud of, that it tastes ev- the same everywhere you go. And that, in itself is both a challenge and uh and, and you know an opportunity that that we've we've taken uh, especially when we started here in 1998 our menu has evolved over time we've adopted uh, and, and innovated on a lot of trends here in the US we actually have products here in the US uh, and Canada that have not you know that we've actually launched here first uh in in you know globally we pride ourselves in Great food, great products, uh, great taste. That's really who we are. That's, you know, the, the very basic foundation of uh, all our businesses and food companies. Great service, the hospitality, uh, that the culture of the Filipinos and the Philippines brings. Uh, we like to think that we share them and bring them to life in our restaurants. Food uh, and, and eating is a... Uh, you know, something big in the Philippines. Uh, it's about connections, about togetherness. It's about family and friends. Uh, so something we also are, you know, trying to bring to you know, the U.S. and North America. Our mission is serving great tasting food, bringing the joy of eating. And, uh, you know, that's pretty much our purpose. Digital has done that for us and helped us a lot in terms of being more targeted, uh, being more uh, sharp with, you know, uh, our communication. And, you know, probably since about five years ago, we've been doing more and more of that. Um, Obviously not forgetting where we came from and who we are and, you know, uh, the the followers and the core, you know, core Filipino market that we initially had come here to cater to. But at the same time, it's a balance of, you know, being able to sustain that brand love that we have with them, but at the same time, uh, generating that awareness and reach to this broader North American market. We are hoping to get into probably the next year or so is really about personalization and data. We view digital essentially as opportunity to gain access on a lot of you know, data and information. Uh, that's really for me what digital is all about, and that's how that's how we see digital for us uh, in terms of playing a role. You know, we'd like to reach every customer possible, every consumer possible for you know fried chicken, burgers, uh, peach mango pie, etc. But we want to do the do it in the right message for them at the right time in the right touch point or channel or platform. People were really hot on net promoter scores or NPS scores, right? Where you have the scale as zero to nine and you ask people, you know, 
how they feel about the brand or would they would they recommend you whatever it's amazing what data you can get from that and then as you watch how it changes over time and if you're not happy with your score and you start to take things that that you hope will turn it around being able to see almost in real time whether those things are working or not you know like i don't know you know it's very hard to optimize grow improve your business without that kind of feedback it's kind of amazing you know it all seems so simple and straightforward now i'm surprised it took us as long as it did to kind of get there i think Having a direct customer relationship where they directly talk to us, that's never going to be something that a third party can get in the middle of, right? So I think ultimately, that's where this has to go. So we'll see. And I think it's kind of a more permanent thing. Like, you know, I scratch my head to think of what would replace that, right? If you had the ability to literally speak to every customer, like if you could do that at scale, and record that information, right, in a way that you could take action on it, what data would be better that would replace that? Nothing. (laughs) So that's kind of how we've gotten here, right? It's interesting. I'm still puzzled that it took us so long. Mm -hmm. Some of these things, we were on Demandware Salesforce Commerce Cloud for probably 10 years before we moved to Shopify. These things are very easy to do on Shopify. They were not as easy to do on Salesforce. So that is also part of it. I think the more modern platforms have enabled these things to be done in an easy way. These tools are very inexpensive. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Conventional Marketing, a Brainify podcast. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you found this episode valuable, please rate, review, and share it. To learn more about creating delightful digital experiences, join us for the next conversation.